Welcome to Tech Policy Podcast. I'm Ashkan Kazarian. On today's show, we're going to talk about bringing in the nerds to save the Congress from their lack of technological expertise in some cases. We have Kevin Kosar, the Vice President of Policy for the Austrian Institute, and Zach Gravis, the Director of Technology and Innovation Policy for Austrian Institute, who just published a paper named Bringing the Nerds, Reviving the Office of Technology Assessment. Guys, thank you for being here. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So what is your paper about? Why did you decide to publish it? What was the inspiration behind it? So, I mean, one of our street's sort of fundamental project is one that Kevin runs, which uh, has to do with reinvigorating the strength and capacity of, of Congress across a variety of different areas. Uh, I think we've seen, we've seen uh, for instance, declining staffing levels in Congress since the late 80s. We've seen kind of a reduction in uh, the, the capacity of congressional committees and members to tackle complex issues. At the same time, we've seen a rise in the number and in the importance of complex technological issues. I mean, this is everything from uh, online copyright, inter- intermediary liability, encryption, cybersecurity. These are all issues that are sort of incredibly complex and difficult uh, to find the right solutions to, and at the same time uh, are of sort of increasing prevalence, right, uh, in in debates in Congress. And so uh, giving, you know, the members of Congress access to uh, objective expertise to better understand and tackle these questions is something that we think is uh, an important discussion to, to bring up again. Um, Yeah, so in my own experience in D.C. for the last two years, when I talk about surveillance reform with uh, members of Congress or their staffers, often even the staffers who are way younger don't understand the ways electronic communications work or the way iCloud computing works. So, Kevin... In general, what would you say is the level of expertise right now Congress has over technology and innovation issues and questions and processes and mechanisms? Well, um, put it this way. Um, People like to make fun of the government for being behind the times in technology. And when they're talking about that, they're mostly talking about the executive branch vis-a-vis private sector. Uh, Private sector is where the cutting edge stuff is happening and the executive branch is trying to catch up. Well, Congress is way behind the executive branch. And it's not difficult to see why. Uh, The executive branch is staffed with mostly permanent people. Their jobs are to beaver away at these issues as best they can for entire careers. Congress, on the other hand, you have amateurs rotating in with every election. People who have no necessary qualifications um, other than being able to get elected. Demographically, you look at most members of Congress and you're going to see that they are lawyers by training, business people. So when science and technology issues come, they're particularly ill-equipped. And as Zach referenced, uh, when it comes to congressional staff, the number of staff has been going down, even though government's getting bigger and bigger and bigger and more and more money is being spent and the issues are getting even more complex. So it creates a real knowledge gap problem. And especially since staffers have to manage huge portfolios and their turnaround and their span of life in Congress is so short, my guess would be they don't have enough time to dig in. And also, you always know the representatives or the senators that are good on technology. They usually come from districts that are Silicon Valley or somewhere in California, or we'll know Representative um, Isa because he was, you know, one of the first people who 
succeeded in the innovation sphere, like had a good business model and then got elected. Um, my question would be then, what are the areas that suffer the most? Some examples that Congress has to assess some issues in the future or is assessing them right now that will get affected by this lack of expertise? So, I mean, we have a lot of uh, you know, really potentially transformational technology issues coming uh, to the forefront. I mean, artificial intelligence is uh, an issue that everyone sort of sees as being big. And, you know, if you look at uh, the congressional record, uh, you see, you know, AI mentioned more more than any kind of previous Congress in, uh, in this Congress, which is only uh, a and year in. it's scary in. because and, they don't understand what it is, though. Right. They completely don't understand. They all watched way too many Schwarzenegger movies and it's just it's it's really scary for someone who works in technology to 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 know that the people who make the decisions are afraid of innovation right right well I mean there's you know currently no definition of AI in federal statute and everyone wants to sort of rush in we see a whole bunch of uh, new bills this year trying to define it and trying to you know study it uh, or even regulate it but they they can't agree on what it is and uh, that suggests, I think, that there's a lack of expertise and understanding and capacity within Congress to know what they're trying to uh, undertake here. And something that is more even close to being in the world as autonomous vehicles, my guess would be, that is another sphere that they're trying to regulate with some guidance from the executive branch that we just were mentioning also isn't that great on technology. Yeah, and you know we all know how DC works. DC is the land of pluralism. Lots and lots of groups trying to get the ear of members of Congress and congressional staff, and to kind of you know get their opinions adopted as policy. Um, the, the the highly autonomous vehicles one is a is a fun one um, because when you look at the groups who are particularly active on it. Um, they're the ones who tend to be the most hostile to it. Um, they feel threatened. Oh, it's going to take away jobs or it's going to create safety issues or this, that, or the other. And if those are the only voices being heard, it's going to possibly bias the outcome of the policy result. And this kind of gets back to why uh, at R Street we've been trying to work to build the capacity of Congress to have access to good information and good analysis produced by people who don't have a material stake in the outcome of any particular policy decision. That's the whole Congressional Capacity Project. Absolutely. And in your paper, you mentioned um, online piracy efforts back in 2011. So you mentioned the Protect IP Act and the Stop Online Piracy Act that were in the House of Representatives very controversial, the whole tech and human rights, uh, left and right, everyone who worked on tech and free speech kind of united against those versus Hollywood and content producers. Do you mind elaborating on that fight and how the lack of expertise affected that legislative battle? I mean, I think this ties into some of the same threads you mentioned in the autonomous vehicle consideration where, uh, you know, you have 
you know, what ultimately helped bring down Sopa Pippa, in addition to large kind of grassroots uprising from civil society, uh, was that they didn't understand the cybersecurity implications of, of the bill. And you had Stuart Baker, among others, ultimately come out and slam it for uh, its sort of, you know, ill, unintended consequences for uh, the landscape on cybersecurity. And I think, uh, you know, if you're talking about autonomous vehicle legislation, you have some of the same considerations uh, with NHTSA promulgating rules on cybersecurity. Our street has a recent paper on this uh, about, uh, you know, they don't have a lot of internal expertise on the issue. And so where do they go? Uh, you know, where does Congress go to sort of understand what would be a, a fruitful approach to uh, building in these new legal frameworks? Yeah, I, I, technology and scientific discoveries, I mean, historically, people have gotten freaked out by them. Um, there's just, you know, the whole sci-fi novel genre is often about technology, like taking over the world or destroying things and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, you know, a popular assembly like Congress is very susceptible to those sorts of feelings. Um, I mean, I'm old enough to remember when Congress started taking up the ongoing effort to map the human genome. I mean, you had some people coming and talking about, oh, they're playing God and, you know, Dolly the sheep and all sorts of freaky things are going to come out of this and we're going to start engineering human beings. And uh, the conversation was so divorced from reality and it was, you know, so negative. Um, and that, that that's a problem because that's going to produce bad regulation of uh, innovation. You're absolutely right. Unknown scares people into making bad policy decisions. So I'm, again, very new to DC. When I read about the Office of Technology Assessment, I don't even have it in my memory since I've been here. I've never interacted. I've heard of them. What is it exactly? Yeah, OTA existed from roughly early 1970s to 1995, at which point um, the Gingrich Congress decided to uh, just defund it. It was a, it was an agency that was stood up um, kind of in response to the excesses of the presidency. Um, Lyndon Johnson's presidency was very formidable. Then it was followed by Nixon, which was even more aggressive and out, got into outright criminal activities. In the early 70s, Congress tried to strengthen itself so there'd be better balance between the branches of government in this country. And one piece of that puzzle was that they were going to stand up this Office of Technology Assessment because they had the good sense to realize that there was a lot of amazing things happening. It was the dawn of the computer age really, really taking off. Um, and so they put together this group of uh, civil servants who's, uh, you know, there are about you know, 100, 200 of them. And their job was to listen to Congress about technologies that were of interest and then to do deep dive reports. And the way they did the reports was not to just sit in their offices and write them. Uh, instead, they reached out nationwide to experts people who had kind of a little piece of the, the great knowledge pie uh, in their head, and they drew upon it to try to like do a full-on literature review, data review, a full, as they put their name implies, assessment of this technology, its history, its possible applications, its strengths, its weaknesses, and they would put out these uh, reports to inform Congress. Hence, thoughtful content from experts would be given to 
decision makers before we make the decision. That sounds pretty good. Why? Okay. Actually, my first question is how would this office fit into the system structure of Congress? Well, it was one of uh, the legislative branch support agencies. There are others like Government Accountability Office, which focuses in on auditing and following the money that gets spent by the executive branch, particularly Congressional Budget Office, which helps Congress with the numbers for budgeting and estimating costs and benefits of bills. Congressional Research Service, which looks inside the Library of Congress, is another entity. It's more of a, a full services consulting uh, and research entity, um, which I worked at for over a decade. Uh, OTA, on the other hand, was a, a different animal um, because they spent their time uh, doing a small number of research projects and doing them really, really deeply, um, which is a luxury that certainly the Congressional Research Service doesn't have. And uh, uh, GAO, to some degree, operates according to its own will. Um, whereas OTA, I mean, what the studies it did were those that were actually directed uh, by Congress. Is there any way or even any proposal out there that we should bring this office back? Because it sounds like it's a great tool to have in 21st century. However, your paper was the first time I've heard of this proposal. So there's been a lot of interest over the years in bringing OTA back in different forms, some, uh, you know, in the same way that it uh, previously existed and others of various versions of embedding it. Uh, there's a proposal to embed it in the State Department. There currently exists a sort of mini OTA function within uh, the Government Accountability Office that produces an occasional technology assessment report. Um, and, uh, you know, other members of Congress have periodically proposed uh, bills that would reinforce state the OTA, since it still exists in statute, it would just a matter of refunding it. Um, you know, Representative Rush Holt was a big proponent for OTA over the years, made a number of attempts to try and bring it back. More recently, uh, Representative Mark DeCano has made a couple of attempts to resurrect the OTA. Uh, but thus far, none of those attempts have been successful. Uh, Why do you think is that happening? Is it because there's no not enough political capital behind the idea, not enough support, and lawmakers are busy with other pressing issues that will get them reelected? I think part of the reason is, uh, you know, there's still not a lot of awareness of what the OTA was or what it did. Generally, if you're just talking about, you know, trying to fund a new, one, one or two members, trying to fund a new pet project, it's not going to get a lot of traction. Uh, and uh, we think additionally that, uh, you know, I think conservatives have a bit of a gut reaction opposed to the OTA since it was a, uh, you know, a victory of the Republican revolution. And, and at least it's seen that way. Uh, but so, gentlemen, what would you suggest we do to help Congress be more educated on technological issues by bringing OTA back? Let's start a hashtag, Soshana, hashtag bring OTA back. Oh, geez. Well, I, I think the first thing we have to do is, is have the fundamental reckoning that um, the amount of money spent on the legislative branch 
is about equal to the total amount of money spent lobbying in this town. And of course, much of the money that's spent on the executive branch is like for the upkeep of buildings and uh, mowing the lawn in front of the Capitol and this, that, and the other. So if people are really mad about cronyism, about the inside interests who are overly affecting how Congress makes policy, well, you got to think of a countervailing force because unless you want to kind of ban money in politics and ban speech, lobbying is going to keep happening. It's not going away. So what's that countervailing force? Well, wouldn't it be nice if it was something that was nonpartisan, objective, smart, <laughs> educated, competent, nerdy, nerdy. Yeah. We, that's why we want to bring in the nerds. And when you look at what it costs to run the whole legislative branch relative to the government, it's a rounding error. And in our system of government, what we're supposed to have is Congress overseeing the executive branch and stopping the executive branch from spending money on really dumb things. I mean, how many technological boondoggle projects have we heard about over the years, if not the decades? Bad fighter jets or this, that, or the other. Wouldn't it be nice if we had some smart people who could also assess and inform Congress? And, you know, these were reports that were released publicly. So, like, you know what happens when a report comes out and says the executive branch is blowing money on something stupid. It goes viral. It takes off. It sparks congressional hearings and headlines and outrage and this, that, and the other. We need more of that. And that's where an agency like OTA can come in. I think there's a lot of good reasons to that Congress should not always want to take the executive branch uh, and its word on you know matters related to technology and technology policy. Uh, you know, electronic surveillance is one of those issues. Encryption. Uh, there's some recent controversy over uh, FISA authorities, for instance. Facial recognition is the next up and coming surveillance slash privacy question that we will all be talking about too. And I would really like for someone who's not a lobbyist or an interest group from one side of a conversation or the other be there to be the mediator or the neutral knowledge base, neutral Wikipedia um, for the lawmakers. Um, so to round this up, what would be the few takeaways you want our listeners to have from this paper and our chat? Well, the first thing is that, you know, if you're frustrated by government and you want Congress to be smarter, um, you got to fund it better. And you got to urge Congress to fund itself better. So many of us on the right for, for too many years has ba have basically, you know, cheered when Congress cuts its own budget which is really short-sighted. You're just making the most representative branch of government dumber uh, and less competent to do its job. You're handing power over to the executive branch, which is becoming like near monarchical in size and power. Um, so the first thing I would do is like, yeah, reach out to your member of Congress, email them and say, think about free funding OTA and spending more on the legislative branch. So I think one takeaway is that a lot of the knee-jerk conservative opposition to OTA is, is, is misplaced. I mean, uh, you know, cutting the legislative branch, uh, you know, in the nineties was, was a matter of, uh, you know, 
political optics more than it was a matter of good policy. Uh, you know, even then, a lot of uh, conservative lawmakers attempted to sort of buck leadership and keep the OTA. Part of the challenge they had versus uh, CRS, for instance, which wasn't cut, was that uh, you know the, they had a broader constituency, and, and you know the way it was originally structured, the OTA. Uh, had was accountable to uh, you know committee chairman and ranking members and to an entity called the Technology Assessment Board, which ultimately uh, held the reins and approved uh, the activities of what OTA would do. Um, additionally, I think you know it's a it's a we're talking about uh, at, at their peak they were funded at about twenty five million uh, or about thirty million. I'm sorry, I think the highest budget was about 22 to 23 million right. bucks back in 1995. So at their peak, they were about 20. Uh, sorry, at their peak, they were about 35 million dollars in, in today's dollars, which is you know a tiny amount. The you know CRS has a hundred plus million dollar budget, uh, for instance, and. You know, even back in the day, I think there's there's evidence that you know OTA contributed to much more significant uh, savings for taxpayers. In part, they helped uh, with modernization of the Social Security Administration's infrastructure. They helped kill boondoggle projects like the Synthetic Fuels Corporation, and so in that way, they advised government uh, against sort of harmful interventions in the market. Um, Additionally, I think when you're talking about trillion dollar decisions over, say, the regulation of artificial intelligence, uh, you know, this is not an area to be kind of uh, penny wise and pound foolish about, you know, the people who are making these decisions. And again, as Kevin mentioned, you're talking about, you know, a Congress of, of sort of transient young staffers who don't have a lot of experience. I think one of the statistics you mentioned is over 40% of staffers are. Uh, under the age of 24, which you, know, you have 24-year-olds making multi-billion-dollar or trillion-dollar decisions. This is the place where investing a little bit of money could have a big payoff. And we all know those 24-year-olds and younger, they all just spend their money in avocado toast, and they don't know what to do with billions <laughs> in innovation. Well, there you have it, folks. Uh, to paraphrase the mediocre performance of Justin Timberlake, we're bringing OTA back. We're going to link to your paper in the show notes. And thank you, gentlemen, for coming. Thank you. Thank you. You can follow Tech Freedom at, on Facebook and Twitter at Tech Freedom. Please leave us a review on iTunes so Aubrey can find the show. Thank you for listening. The Tech Policy Podcast is produced and distributed by Tech Freedom, a nonpartisan nonprofit think tank in Washington, D.C. To learn more about our work, make a tax-deductible donation, or find other episodes, find us online at techfreedom.org.